Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. Good evening. Grace and peace be with every one of us gathered here today. Uh, before I say anything else about our, our, our time of reflection tonight, before I say anything that is an attempt to frame our minds and our hearts for a time of worship, I just want to say how great it is to see you here tonight. What an absolute gift it is to gather with one another, but I'm especially proud of you for coming to a service like this because some of you have come for years to our Ash Wednesday service, and some of you, this may be your very first one, and it may be an odd kind of gathering to you to come to a place where we are reminded that we're made of dust and that to dust we shall return, and yet somewhere in between where we came from and where we're going, there is hope. And I want to believe tonight that you have come here out of a deep soul thirst for a little bit of hope. And that's what we're about tonight. So this series that we've been in for the last several weeks, if you've missed any of them, you know they're on our website. And I hope you check them out because here is our attempt our attempt has been to talk a little bit about what it means to be mortal, to experience the full breadth and depth and length of our humanness as God intended it. And so far, we've talked about all kinds of human experiences, everything from failing and falling to becoming vulnerable to living up to and into our highest calling as God had imagined it. We've talked about what it means to live on top and what it means to be under the bottom and how to get back up. And tonight, I want to talk for just a little while about an experience that we all have in common, every one of us on the planet. And I, I want to call it something that hopefully you'll remember. I want to call this experience that you and I have the Evagrius of it all. Yeah. So we'll unpack that a bit. The Evagrius of it all. So around the third and fourth century, the church, the movement of Jesus had become more than a movement and had become a kind of institution with some, some strength, some power, some influence. In fact, it ultimately became like the, the official religion of the empire, which is the worst thing that could have happened. Because when you marry faith with politics, you make a mess of both. And the truth is there was a period of time when the church and the, the beautiful message of Jesus and reconciliation and hope for all humankind was compromised by power and corruption at every 
at every turn. In fact, there was a time when if you were a follower of Jesus, you you could certainly be persecuted, maybe even martyred. But after a period of time, the persecutions ended and there became this strange reality that you couldn't run for office unless you were a Christian. (laughs) You couldn't own land unless you were a Christian. You couldn't own a home. You couldn't own a business unless you were a Christian. And the message had become so compromised that it had become less than what it was that Jesus intended it to be. And there were men and women who saw it emerging. And some of them began to pull away from the big city centers where all the corruption was most visible. And they would move into places like the wilderness, the desert. We call them desert fathers and mothers. They would move into the desert and they would live in clusters and cloisters of communities in which they would agree to live by a certain standard. And they would would order their life by certain disciplines and spiritual practices that helped them stay focused. They would pray and they would fast and they would become generous and give to charity. And they, well, they tried to live like Jesus by moving away from the influences of corruption and into the desert where they would assume they would be free from them. One of the desert fathers was named Evagrius. Evagrius Ponticus. Evagrius Ponticus is known for many things, but one of the things for which he is best known is he is the one to whom we ascribe credit for identifying the seven deadly sins. So he lived in one of the city centers as well. And he realized that his his walk as a Christian was being tugged in a thousand different places. His soul was being kind of drawn and quartered and separated. And he realized that in the context of the city, pride would swell up in him. Envy would rise up and he couldn't be content. He was jealous of everyone. He, he noticed in himself a kind of greed He saw patterns of his own gluttony, his own appetite for needing more and more and more of whatever is available to him and never having enough. He saw in himself, in the city, lust. Not not just sexual lust, but the lust for every kind of pleasure and power and control over life, and it was killing him. And he, he saw in himself sloth, the inability to muster the will or energy to to get up and go. And he saw in himself, in the city, a wrath that began to grow at the things he couldn't let go, angers that he could not forgive, or injustices that couldn't, couldn't be forgiven. Now, in time, his list began to grow, and then it shrunk and grew again, and it added things like deceit, self-deceit, or even all kinds of fears. And he noticed that in the city, these patterns emerged in him and it was destroying his life. These were self-defeating patterns of sin. And so Evagrius, along with the other desert mothers and fathers, left. The way I want to say it today is Evagrius entered the desert to escape the sins that so easily beset him in the city only to find that they followed him into the desert. And that is the evagrius of it all. That's you and me. 
We do the very same thing. Evagrius was surprised to find, he thought if he left the city and moved into the desert, isolated from all the influences that were killing him, well, then suddenly he would be free from those sins, those influences, but he found that they were with him because the sins and patterns of self-destruction, they're not like, not like a suitcase. It's not like checked luggage or, or carry-on that you put in the overhead compartment, right? Those kind of self-destructive patterns and sin that destroy us are in here, and we carry them with us wherever we go. Yeah, yeah. As a pastor, I have conversations with people all the time who come to my office and they, they say, you know, I think what I need is just a fresh start. I mean, my life is unraveling. It's beginning to, to just deconstruct right before my eyes. I think what I need is just a new start. So I'm gonna move or I'm gonna quit my job because I, I can't find any satisfaction in the job I have, so I'm gonna quit it and go to this other place because they're offering an opportunity. And I think maybe that's my answer. If I just quit here and start there, if I just move from here and into the desert, I will find some way to live again. And maybe what I really need is a new school. That's what I need, a new job. Maybe I need a new spouse. If I had a new family and, and I see my beloved sisters and brothers trading in the thing they have all the time in pursuit of this other thing. And almost 100% of the time, if I have the opportunity to hear how it's going again, I find out that the very same problems that they had in their first life follow them in the second life because it's not about the job or the church or the, or the spouse. It's about whatever it is that all of us and any of us carry in here wherever we go. Yeah. Is this why in the passage that uh, Terry read a moment ago, is this why David said it the way he said it? Lord, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. But here's, here's the power verse right here. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I left the city to escape it, but I go to the desert and it's ever before me. Wherever I turned, there it is. I cannot escape it. Remember what happened to David, right? He looks out the window, sees this, this wife, this woman who, who was not his wife. And he takes and seizes her, Bathsheba. And he lays with her and she becomes pregnant and he tries to cover it up because she is the wife of one of his chief generals in the military. And he's off fighting a war for David. He tries to cover it up. It doesn't work. He ends up having to plot a murder against the general so that the general never knows that the baby is not his, but it's David's and ultimately takes Bathsheba in after his murder and the baby ultimately dies and David stands back and is confronted by the result of all of his choices and he's like, I'm, everywhere I look, the baby is dead, Uriah is dead, Bathsheba is here with me, a constant reminder of every choice that I've ever made. My sin is ever before me. It's not the baby's fault. It's not Uriah's fault. It's not Bathsheba's fault. It's me, my sin is ever before me. I left the city 
and found that they followed me into the desert. My sin is ever before me. Does it feel like like that for you? Do you know what it, what it feels like to, to identify a self-defeating pattern that breaks you up, tears you down, destroys you, makes you spiral into the same abyss you've been in before, and yet no matter what you do to get away from it, do you know what it's like to say, my sin, this thing, this pattern, this is always before me? Yeah, me too. Me too. A few weeks ago, I shared that it was, it's kind of like our shadow. Some of you were in church that day. Some of you were not, but I wanted to share this because I know some of you, even groups of you, our brothers from NLB are here with us. And I know other groups of you have come tonight and I want to share for no other reason for you to hear this, this example. Some have said that our sin, our patterns, the thing that keeps tripping us up is like a shadow. And everywhere you go, your shadow goes. You cannot escape your shadow. But once, once you begin to wake up to the reality that this thing isn't about the city and it's not about Uriah, it's not about where I live or where I work or who I'm married to, once you realize that the pattern is in the bones, it's a frightening thing to see because then you got to deal with it then you have to confront it. Then you have to know wherever you go, it's gonna go too, and you're gonna have to find a way to live in the company of your shadow. It's a frightening thing to see your shadow for the first time. So I found this video of a little boy who saw his shadow for the first time, and I want you to see his reaction. Can you just play it? Watch, watch what happens. What is that? What the? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, Graham, play that one more time. I, now that you've seen it, I want you to live it. Play that one more time. Watch. This thing follows me. I try to hide. Look, there he is again. I move, he moves. I back up. He, oh, my Lord. Listen, when I first saw that video, see, I go and see a guy. I have a therapist who helps me stay me, and I go see him, and I sent him this video, and I said, this is what we're talking about next time I come see you, because when I see my shadow, I want to scream like this little boy. Don't you? Does, it, does that resonate with anybody but me? And yet here is the news on an Ash Wednesday. Yes, sin is like a shadow that keeps following you. Yes, you can leave the city, move into the desert, and the shadows will chase you there. But you, you have to remember something about shadows. You can't have a shadow without there also being light. There is no shadow unless you are somewhere in the proximity of light, and this is the message of the entire sweep of the Bible. God will let us, see us, watch us walk into areas of temptation and trouble when it feels as if life is gonna just pull us apart, and yet God promises to walk into those times with us. So even in the prayer that David prayed a moment ago, Lord, my sin is ever before me, he had the confidence to say, so therefore cleanse me, wash me, make me 
new. Again, give me a clean and new right heart within because David understood that the whole message of scripture is that, well, God will walk with you into the places where your shadow chases you. So he tells Joshua, yes, there will be battle ahead, but I will, I will fight for you. All you need to do is stand still. So he tells Isaiah, yes, you are going to walk through the waters, but the waters will not overwhelm you because I will be there with you. He tells us in Daniel, yeah, you're going to stand in the fire, but I will stand with you. He tells Paul, yes, you will have a thorn in your flesh and you're going to beg me to get rid of it. You're going to wish it was never a part of your story, but it will be a part of your story, but so will I. And my grace will be sufficient for you to endure whatever thorn or shadow or sin that so easily beset you in the city that you thought you could escape in the desert. I will be in the desert with you. See, this is the good news. This is the power of Ash Wednesday also because we come here and in just a moment, we'll impose ash upon our foreheads to remind us we are dust and to dust we shall return but we don't do that to remind us how bad we are. We don't put dust upon our foreheads to remind us that we are dirt. No, we place dust upon us to remember we have come from dust, dust that God thought so beautiful that God chose to breathe into it in the first place and create you. And we place that dust in the shape of a cross to remind you yeah, you're dust, but you're stardust. You're made of the same stuff the universe is made out of, and God loves it and loves you and wants to breathe new life into your broken dust. 